Volume One, Chapter Twelve of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. The comfort is you shall be called to no more payments, fear no more tavern bills. The Dame du Comptoir beckoned a waiter and delegated some portion of her supreme authority to him for the next quarter of an hour she constituted as it were a regency and gave her subordinate command over her wine and liqueur bottles her fin champagne bass and guinness and then she ushered theodore dalbrook into a very small sitting-room at the back of the counter so small indeed that a large looking-glass a porcelain stove two armchairs, and one little table left hardly standing-room theodore followed with a sense of bewilderment he had told himself that the island of jersey was a world so small that he could not have much difficulty in tracing any man who had lived and died there within the last ten years but accident had been kinder to him than he had hoped the lady seated herself in one of the ruby velvet armchairs and motioned him to the other you have given me a shock monsieur she said my friends in the island know that my marriage was unfortunate and they never mention my husband he is forgotten as if he had never been i sometimes fancy that year of my life was only a troubled dream even my name is unchanged i was called mademoiselle coralie before i married i am called madame coralie now i am sorry to have caused you painful emotion madame but it is most important to me to trace the history of your husband's later years and i deem myself very fortunate in having found you is it about a property a fortune left him perhaps exclaimed coralie with sudden animation her fine eyes lighting up with hope alas no fortune had nothing in reserve for your unlucky husband unlucky indeed but not so unlucky as i was in giving my heart to him i knew that he was a drunkard i knew that he had been turned out of the navy and out of the mercantile marine on account of that dreadful vice but he-he was very fond of me poor fellow and he swore that he would never touch a glass of brandy again as long as he lived if i would consent to marry him he did turn over a new leaf for a time and kept himself sober and steady and would hang over that counter for a whole evening talking to me and taking nothing but black coffee i thought i could reform him i thought it would be a grand thing to reform a man like that a gentleman bred and born a man whose father had been a great landowner and whose family name was one of the oldest in england he was a gentleman in all his ways he never forgot himself even when he has been drinking he was a gentleman to the last such a fine-looking man too while he was courting me and kept himself steady he got back his good looks he looked ten years younger and i was very proud of him the day we were married he had taken a house for me a nice little house on the hill near the jesuits college with a pretty little garden and i had furnished the house out of my savings i had saved a goodish bit since i came to jersey for my uncle is a generous man and my situation here is a good one i had over two hundred pounds in hand after i paid for the furniture these chairs were in my drawing-room and he hadn't much more than the clothes he stood upright in poor fellow but i wouldn't have minded that if he had only kept himself steady i was prepared to keep him he was too much of a gentleman to be able to work except in his profession and that was gone from him for ever so i knew it was incumbent on me to work for both and i thought that by letting our drawing-room floor in the season and by doing a little millinery all the year round i'm a good milliner monsieur i thought i could manage to keep a comfortable home without touching my two hundred pounds in the savings bank you were a brave unselfish girl to think so 
ah sir we are not selfish when we love i was very fond of him poor fellow i had begun with pitying him and then he was a thoroughbred gentleman he was vieille roche monsieur and i have always admired the noblesse i am no republican moi and he had such winning ways when he was sober and he was not stupid as other men are when he was drunk only more brilliant la tête montée hélas comme il pitiait d'esprit but it was his brain that he was burning that was the fuel that made the light but how is it you interest yourself in him monsieur she asked suddenly fixing him with her sharp black eyes you say it is not about property you must have a motive all the same i have a motive but my interest is not personal i am acting for someone who now owns the strangway estate and who wishes to know what has become of the old family what can it matter to any one asked madame coralie suspiciously they had lost all their money of the land that had been theirs not an acre was left what business is it of any one's what became of them when they were driven from their birthplace oh how my poor frederick hated the race that had possessed itself of his estate there was nothing too bad for them when he was excited he would rave about them awfully a beggarly lawyer a black-hearted scoundrel that is what he would call lord lord sherrington when he had been drinking theodore's brow grew thoughtful how strange this seemed almost like a confirmation of juanita's superstitious horror of the banished race perhaps it was not unnatural that an unlucky spendthrift ruined disgraced should hate the favourite of fortune who had ousted him but not with a hate capable of murder murder in cold blood the murder of a man who had never injured him even indirectly your husband has been dead some years i conclude he said presently three years and a half on the tenth of last month and you had a troublesome time with him i fear trouble seems a light word for what i went through it was like living in hell there is no other word the hell which a madman can make of all around him for a few weeks we went on quietly he seemed contented and i was very happy thinking i had cured him i watched him as a cat watches a mouse for fear he should go wrong again he never went out without me and at home i did all that a woman can do to make much of the man she loves studying him in everything surrounding him with every little luxury i could afford cooking dainty little meals for him petting him as if he had been an idolized child he seemed grateful for the first few weeks and almost happy then i saw he was beginning to mope a little he got low-spirited and would sit over the fire and brood it was cutting march weather and would moan over his blighted life and his own folly if i had to begin over again he would say ah it would be different cora it would be all different he was not unkind to you no he was never unkind never to the last when he died raving mad with delirium tremens he was always kind it was seeing his madness and his ruin that made my trouble he was violent sometimes and threatened to kill me but that was only when he did not know me i watched him moping for a week or so and then one day i was so unhappy at seeing him fret that i thought i would do anything to cheer him i fancied he missed the company in this house and the cards and dominoes and billiards for before we were married he used to dine at the table d'hote two or three times a week and used to be in the cafe or in the billiard room every night how did he manage to live without a profession and without ostensible means madame shrugged her shoulders god knows i think he used to write to his old friends 
his brother officers in the navy or the merchant service and he got a little from one and a little from another he would borrow of any one and there was a small legacy from his mother's sister which fell into him soon after he came to jersey that was all gone before i married him he hadn't a penny after he'd paid the marriage fees well monsieur seeing him so downhearted i proposed that he should go down to the belle alliance and have a game at billiards and see his old friends you needn't take any money i said my uncle will treat you hospitably he seemed pleased at the idea and he promised to be home early but just as he was leaving the house he turned back and said there was a little bill of thirty shillings he owed to a bootmaker in the street round the corner and he didn't like to pass the man's shop without paying would i let him have the money it was the first money he'd asked me for since we were married and i hadn't a heart to say no so i went to my little cash-box and took out three half-sovereigns i told him that the money meant a week's housekeeping i give you nice little dinners don't i fred i said but you've no idea how economical i am he laughed and he kissed me and said he hated economy and wished he had a fortune for my sake and he went down the street whistling well sir perhaps you can guess what happened he came home at three o'clock next morning mad with drink and then i knew he was not to be cured i went on trying all the same though till the last and i lived the life of a soul in torment i was fond of him to the last and saw him killing himself inch by inch and saw him die a dreadful death one year and three days after our wedding day he spent every penny i had in the world and my uncle helped us when that was gone and i came back to this house after his funeral a broken-hearted woman all my furniture which i'd worked for was sold to pay the rent and the doctors and the undertaker i just saved the furniture in this room and that is all that is left of four hundred and seventy pounds and of my married life you were indeed the victim of a generous and confiding heart i was fond of him to the last monsieur and i forgave him all my sufferings but let no woman ever marry a drunkard with the hope of reforming him were you quite alone in your martyrdom had your husband no relatives left to help him on his dying bed not one he told me he was the last of his race he must have had distant relations i suppose but his elder brother was dead and his sister you are sure his brother was dead yes he fell into the water at nice on a dark evening when he was going on board the steamer for corsica i have got the paper with the account of his death will you show me that paper and any other documents relating to your husband's family i know i have no right to ask such a favour but all i can say is that i shall be very grateful if he will so far oblige me the table d'hote was in full swing in the adjoining room as testified by the clattering of plates and the jingle of knives and forks and a subdued murmur as of a good many confidential conversations carried on simultaneously you want to see my poor fred's private papers said the widow meditatively that's a good deal to ask not that there are any secrets in them that can hurt anybody above ground the colonel is dead and his sister my husband was the last but i can't understand why anybody should want to pry into a dead man's papers unless there's property hanging to them she looked at theodore suspiciously as if she could not divest herself of the idea of a fortune having turned up somehow unexpectedly a fortune to which her dead husband was entitled there is no property i assure you it is a question of sentiment not of money you're a lawyer i suppose said coralie still suspiciously 
she supposed that it was only lawyers who went about prying into the affairs of the dead i am a lawyer but the business which brings me to jersey is not law business well i don't see any harm coming to me through your seeing my husband's papers there's not many to see a few letters from the colonel and two or three from a lawyer about the legacy and a dozen or so from old friends refusing or sending him money you've spoken kindly to me and i felt that you sympathized with me though you're a stranger so well you may see his letters though it hurts me to touch anything that belonged to him le pauvre homme she took a bunch of keys from her pocket unlocked the little secretaire and from one of the drawers produced a bundle of old letters and cuttings from newspapers which she handed to theodore dalbrook and then seated herself opposite to him planted her elbows on the table and watched him while he read keenly on the alert for any revelation of his purpose which might escape him in the course of his reading she had not altogether relinquished that idea of an inheritance or legacy property of some kind involved in this endeavour to trace a dead man's history the explanation which theodore had given had not convinced her he had confessed himself a lawyer and that was in itself enough to make her doubt him the cuttings from old newspaper belonged to the days when frederick strangway had commanded a warship to the days when he fought in the chinese war some of them recorded the honour he had won for himself at different stages of his career and it was only natural that these should have been carefully preserved by him in all his wanderings but there were other cuttings the report of the court-martial that broke him the trial in which he stood accused of having risked the loss of his ship with all hands aboard by his dissolute habits a shameful and a painful story this record of his folly had been kept by that strange perversity of the human mind which makes a man secrete and treasure documents which must wring his heart and bow his head with shame every time he looks at them there were other extracts of a like shameful kind reports of street rows two cases of drunken assault in san francisco one of a fight in sydney harbour he had kept them all as if they had been words of praise and honour the letters were most of them trivial letters from brother officers of the past very sorry to hear of your embarrassments regret inability to do more than the enclosed small check the numerous claims upon my purse render it impossible for me to grant the loan requested the usual variations upon the old tune in which a heavily taxed pater familias fences with the appeal of an unlucky acquaintance they were such letters as are left by the portmanteau full among the effects of the man for whom the world has been too hard theodore put aside all this correspondence after a brief glance and there remained only four letters in the same strong resolute hand the hand of reginald strangway the first in date was written on army and navy club paper and was addressed to captain strangway r n h m s cobra hong kong my dear fred i have been sorry to leave your letters so long unanswered but i am bothered about a great many things my wife has been out of health for nearly a year the doctors fear her chest is affected and tell me i ought to get her away from england before the winter as things have been going very badly with me for a long time i shall not be sorry to cut this beastly town where the men who have made their money god knows how are now upon the crest of the wave and by their reckless expenditure have made it impossible for a man of small means to live in london if he wants to live like a gentleman everything is twice as dear as it used to be when i was a subaltern my wife and i are pigging in two rooms on a second floor in german street i live at my club and she lives on her relatives so that we don't often have to sit down to a lodging-house dinner of burnt soles and greasy chops but the whole business is wretched she has to go to parties in a four-wheel cab and i can hardly afford the risk of a rubber 
so i shall be uncommonly glad to cut it all and settle in some out-of-the-way place where we can live cheap and where the climate will suit millicent my first idea was algiers but things are still rather unsettled there as you know lambton of the guards has been shooting in corsica lately and came home with a glowing account of the climate and the cheapness of the inns which are ruggish but clean and fairly comfortable so i have determined on corsica we shall be within a day's sail of nice so not utterly out of reach of civilization and we can live there how we like without entertaining a mortal or having to buy new clothes millicent who is fond of novelty is in love with the notion and dangerfield has behaved very well to her promising her an extra hundred a year if we will live quietly and keep out of debt which considering he is as poor as job is not so bad as for my creditors they are pretty quiet since i got aunt bell's legacy part of which i divided among em as a sop to cerberus they'll have to be still quieter when i'm settled in corsica of course you have heard of that wretched woman's kicking over the traces altogether at last god knows what will become of her i believe she had been carrying on rather badly for some time before tom found out anything you know what an ass he is however he got hold of a letter one evening met the postman at the door and took her letters along with his own and didn't like the look of one and opened it and then there was an infernal row and she just put on her bonnet and shawl walked out of the house and called a cab and drove off he followed in another cab but it was a foggy night and he lost her before she'd gone far they were in lodgings in essex street and it isn't easy for one cab to chase another on a foggy evening she never went back to him and he went all over london denouncing her naming first one man and then another but without any definite idea as to who the real man was the letter was only a couple of sentences in italian which tom knew only by sight but he could see it was an appointment at a theatre for the theatre and hour were named she snatched the letter out of his hand while they were quarrelling he told me and chucked it into the fire so he hasn't even the man's handwriting as evidence against him it was a hand he had never seen before he says however if he wants to find her no doubt he can do so if he takes the trouble i am sorry that she should disgrace her family and of course my wife feels the scandal uncommonly hard upon her i can't say that i feel any pity for tom darcy she had led a wretched life with him ever since he sold out and i don't much wonder at her being deuce glad to leave him as it's tom's business to shoot her lover and not mine i shan't mix myself up in the affair and as for her well she has made her bed there was more in the letter but the rest was of no interest to theodore the letter was dated january third eighteen fifty one three of the remaining letters were from corsica and contained nothing of any significance a fourth was written at monte carlo in answer to an appeal for money and the date was twelve years later than the first it was a gloomy letter the letter of a ruined man who had drunk the cup of disappointment to the dregs to ask me for help seems like a ghastly joke on your part whatever your troubles may be i fancy my lookout is darker than yours my wife and i have vegetated on that accursed island for just a dozen years it seems like a lifetime to look back upon we just had enough to live upon while my father was alive for as bad as things were at cheriton he contrived to send me something now that he is gone and the estate has been sold by the mortgagees there is nothing left for me and we have been living for the last two years upon the pittance my poor milly gets from her father whatever your cares may be you don't know what it is to have a sick wife whose condition requires every luxury and indulgence and to have barely enough for bread and cheese if you were to see the house we live in the tiled floors and the dilapidated furniture and the windows that won't shut 
and the shutters that won't keep two and our two corsican servants who look like a brace of savages though they are good creatures in the main you would be the last man to howl about your own troubles to me i have been here a month and with my usual diabolical luck i am going home to-morrow though perhaps i should be wiser if i went up into the hills behind monaco and put a bullet through my brains millicent would be no worse off god help her for she is entirely dependent on her father and i am only an incubus but she might think herself worse off poor soul so i suppose i had better go home what am i thinking about i can't afford to take refuge in the suicide's haven my life is insured in the imperial for three thousand pounds and poor old dangerfield has been paying the premium ever since i began to go to the bad financially it would be too hard upon him if i shot myself this was the last letter and it was endorsed by the brother's hand reginald's last letter i read in the times newspapers of his being drowned at nice ten days afterwards theodore made a note of the dates of these letters and the name of the insurance office provided with these data it would be easy for him to verify the fact of colonel strangway's death and thus bring the history of the two sons of old squire strangway to its dismal close in dust and darkness and thus would be answered juanita's strange suspicion of the house of strangway answered with an unanswerable answer who can argue with death is not that at least the end of all things the road that leads no whither there remained for him only the task of tracing the erring daughter to her last resting-place this would doubtless be more difficult as a runaway wife living under a false name and in all probability going from place to place was likely to have left but faint and uncertain indications of her existence but the first part of his task had been almost too easy he felt that he could take no credit for what he had done could expect no gratitude from juanita he thanked mrs Trangway alias madame coralie for her politeness and asked to be allowed to offer her a ten-pound note as a trifling acknowledgment of the favour she had done him she promptly accepted this offering and was only the more convinced that there was property involved in the lawyer's researches if there is anything to come to me from any of his relations i hope nobody will try to keep me out of it she said i hope his friends will remember that i gave him my last shilling and nursed him when there wasn't many would have stayed in the room with him theodore reiterated his assurance that no question of money or inheritance was involved in his mission to the island and then bade the captain's widow a respectful adieu and threaded his way through the avenue of tables to the door and out of the garlic-charged atmosphere into the fresh autumnal air he stayed one night in jersey and left at eleven o'clock the next morning on board the fanny and slept in his chambers in ferret court after having written a long letter to juanita with a full account of all that he had learned from the lips of the widow and from the letters of the dead i do not surrender my hope of finding the murderer he wrote finally but you must now agree with me that i must look elsewhere than among the remnants of the strangway race they can prove an unanswerable alibi the grave he went to the office of the imperial next morning saw the secretary and ascertained that the amount of the policy upon colonel strangway's life had been paid to lady millicent strangway his widow in april eighteen sixty three after the directors had received indisputable evidence of his death i remember the case perfectly said the secretary the circumstances were peculiar and there was a suspicion of suicide as the man had just left monte carlo and was known to have lost his last napoleon after a most extraordinary run of luck there was some idea of disputing the claim 
but if he did make away with himself he had contrived to do it so cleverly that it would have been uncommonly difficult to prove that his death was not an accident more particularly as lord dangerfield brought an action against the steamboat company for wilful negligence in regard to their gangway and deficient lighting the policy was an old one too so it was decided not to litigate there could be no doubt as to the identity of the man who was drowned at nice i conclude no the question of identity was carefully gone into lord dangerfield happened to be wintering at cannes that year and he heard of his son-in-law's death in time to go over and identify the body before it was coffined you know how quickly burial follows death in that part of the world and there would have been no possibility of the widow getting over from a jackio before the funeral we had lord dangerfield's declaration that the body he saw at nice was the body of colonel strangway and we paid the three thousand pounds on that evidence we have never had any reason to suspect error or foul play End of chapter twelve